Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. The, Sick Podcast. the Eye Test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy. The Stanley Cup winning Colorado Avalanche. And after 22 years, Raymond The Sickest NHL Podcast. It's going to be sick. And welcome to another edition of the Eye Test here in the Sick Podcast Network. Pierre McGuire, Jimmy Murphy here. Pierre is back up at uh, Colgate, I believe, right? I'm in Hamilton, New York at Colgate University, Jimmy. Pumped up, big week, big weekend of college hockey, and uh, I only get to see one game here live. I've got some uh, work i got to do in some other places, but I'm looking forward to the game tonight. Nice. Well, you tell Coach Harder we said hello, and thank you for allowing the office to be used for this. Yes. Uh, hope he's doing well. And uh, speaking of college hockey coaches, we got a great guest lined up for On Campus Friday. Mm-hmm. Brad Berry, the coach of the North Dakota Fighting Hawks, Man, I was so scared. I was going to say you almost you almost went there. I know. I was. I, I was like, "Don't do it." <laughs> it will always be in my head that way, unfortunately. But um, anyhow, yeah, he will join us. We're looking forward to that. They are now Pierre number two in the poll, but more importantly, number two in the pairwise rankings. Uh, they've really turned it around since the new year. They are five zero and two, and they're coming off a big weekend uh, last weekend where they beat Denver twice. And, of course, they are playing at Miami of Ohio this weekend, Pierre. This should be a good one. Uh, well, it's going to be great with Coach Barry. I'm a huge fan. He does an amazing job there. His staff with uh, Dane Jackson and Dylan Simpson, they're, they're tremendous as well. What blows me away is how many alumni, and Coach Barry's an alumni there too, how many alumni actually go back to Dakota Mm-hmm. Uh, and coach there and, and live in Grand Forks. You know, I, it's a place that's near and dear to my heart. I've told you that both on and off the air. I've spent a lot of time there over the course of my life and uh, big fan big fan of what he's done with his program. But what I'm a real big fan of, Jimmy, when you deal with Coach Barry, you deal straight up man to man and there's no messing around. And I really admire that part uh, of him as a person as, and the character that he has. That's good. And well, let's bring him on right now to talk about that and all things North Dakota and college hockey. Joining us now is head coach Brad Berry of the North Dakota Fighting Hawks. I did it again. <laughs> <laughs> it's taken me years to get used to that, coach. But uh, welcome aboard to the eye test, coach. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time. Well, thanks a lot, man. And thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Yes, oh, yes. Brad, thank you so much for coming on. I know you're playing at Miami. And just so the people at home know, I texted Coach Barron right away. He got back. He said, yeah, I'll be on. No problem. And I said, I know you got a game. He says, not a problem. I'll be there. So thank you, Brad. Thanks a lot. Anytime, Pierre, you've been an ambassador to our program. So thank you very much. You know, you heard Pierre, I'm sure, coming on there uh, right before we pulled you in. He's, he's talking about North Dakota and how many people go back there. And you're one of those people as well. Um, and Pierre has told me, too, about the area in Grand Forks and uh, just the, the hockey atmosphere, the culture there. Uh, what brought you back? What was the biggest thing that you think is why your life ended up going back there? 
Well, I think it, I, I don't think I know it's the culture. I firmly believe it's the culture and, and the people that come through North Dakota. And I was blessed enough to to be uh, recruited by Gino Gasparini, John Marks, and Dean Blaze uh, back a long time ago, and it impacted my life. It shaped my life as a person and as a hockey player. And um, playing 13 years of pro hockey, uh, seeing a lot of different things come and go. Uh, it wasn't too hard uh, of a decision to go back there and start my coaching career uh, under Dean Blaze at the time. And uh, I'm grateful for that. And uh, I owe a lot to that program. Coach, you're number two in the polls. Were you expecting to be this high at the start of the year? Well, you know what, when you bring in 14 new players, and that's that doesn't happen every year where you bring 14 new players. Mm-hmm. But, you know, with, with what's happened since COVID, with the transfer portal, um, always with our program, we have players that leave early for the NHL signings uh, to play in the NHL and the American League. Um, you know, it was one of those t- those years where we had a, a mass exodus of players uh, for a good reason. Uh, graduation, guys signing pro contracts, and we had to bring 14 players in. And we couldn't bring 14 true freshmen or freshmen in. We brought in seven transfers and seven freshmen, which is a big freshman class. And you know, when you're asking about being number two in the country, I think that's just a measure of a point in time right now. Um, we still have uh, a long way to go to get the playoffs and a long way to go to get to what we want to do. And, uh, and again, we just got to keep our foot on the gas here. What's been in this current stretch, as I mentioned, coming in, you're 5-0-2 since the new year, Coach. What has helped you put together that little streak that you're on right now? I think the buy-in from our players. Um, you know, last year, you know, Every year we measure ourselves in winning championships and hanging banners. Um, last year we didn't get to that level. We didn't get to get to uh, play in the national tournament. That stung. And I think uh, the guy peeling the layers back. And I think part of that is us as a staff doing an internal search on us as a staff and what we need to do better and look in the mirror first. And and uh, our play away from the puck get a lot better. Um, you know, I thought we have some really good offensive players, but the commit to, commitment to play defense and your end of the rink to earn the opportunity to have the puck to go mm-hmm. up. Like and, and score goals was the biggest thing for us. And our guys have bought in. They've done a lot of the habits and details of defending to allow us to, to be where we're at. Coach, there's so many legendary rinks in college hockey, and you didn't play in Engelstadt, but you've coached in Engelstadt. Tell the fans at home the magic of Ralph Engelstadt Arena. Well, um, I guess, you know, I, I've become accustomed to it right now. So if you were a new person or a, a person that's never been into the Ralph and come in for a game, you'd be, I think you'd be blown away. And and uh, it was none more evident than this past weekend playing against Denver, who's a, who's a longstanding rival, uh, how packed, how loud it was, how intense it was, and what a special feeling that was. And uh, and again, I'd probably invite anybody uh, that that uh, has never seen it to come down. And Pierre, you saw it firsthand in the World Juniors in 2005 with Crosby and and probably one of the best Canadian World Junior teams uh, around winning it there. It was an amazing experience at that time. That was the best Canadian team that ever went. And the reason why it was, there was no NHL that year. So all right. the great players, Shea Weber, Dion Phaneuf, Ryan Getzlaff, Mike Richards, Jeff Carter, you know, Corey Perry. Those guys weren't in the NHL. They were playing in the World Junior, just like Ovechkin and Malkin were playing for the Russians. I mean, it was unbelievable that year. But I can just say this, Jimmy, and I mean this, and Coach knows I'm a huge fan. The atmosphere at that World Junior, and I've been at that tournament since 1989, it's never been like that before. And it's never been like it since. I can just tell you that. It, it was amazing. The people in Grand Forks and the people from north of the border too, Coach. Oh, they yeah. all the beer in Grand Forks. They get well, that, that's the other thing, Pierre, is, you know, we're one hour from the Canadian border. We're two hours from the city of the great city of Winnipeg. And, uh, 
you know, uh, the influx of the Canadians that came down uh, was amazing. And, uh, and it's an experience we'll never forget. Now, Pierre, you told me, you know, we had uh, Ben Barr on from Maine, and you told me what a great environment that is and how the, the whole town or city is always focused. Like, that's the big event every week. Is that how it is in Grand Forks as well? Yeah, except double the size. Uh-huh. You know, the Ralph is almost 12,000 people, Coach. Unless wow. you made some adjustments, I think 12 is about the number, right? Yeah, it's 12,000. Uh, you know, the, the population of Grand Forks, North Dakota, is probably around 70 or 75,000 into the pack. <laughs> of 12,000 every Friday and Saturday is simply amazing. And you know what, we, uh, we kind of have, have an analogy here that, you know, uh, you know, if, if you want to be a hockey player, if you want to get a great education, there's not a lot of, a lot of things to do in Grand Forks, North Dakota, other than develop your skills, win championships and get a great education. And, you know, we allude ourselves to a little bit like the Green Bay Packers of the mm-hmm. NFL, um, oh. you know, the very, uh, I guess, tradition and legacy they have in, in, in Green Bay uh, in the NFL. And that's kind of what we are here at Grand Forks, North Dakota with hockey, college hockey. Jimmy, you know what's really cool about going there and seeing the school? When you get to the Grand Forks airport, you see these little green airplanes taking off and landing. They actually have an aeronautics school at Grand Forks, oh, wow. University of North Dakota. They huh. teach people how to be commercial airline pilots. Wow. Right, Coach? Yeah, that's exactly true, Pierre. And, you know, what? we're proud of that. You know, we're the number one aviation school in the U.S., um, cool. and you know what, to be a pilot or, or to get a career in, in aviation, it takes a, it's, it's a lot of demand on your time. Uh, not a lot of players, hockey players go through it just because of the, the demands in the hockey mm-hmm. side of it and training and going to school. Louis Jamernick in our group here from uh, Calgary, Alberta is in the middle of his academic career going through and being a commercial pilot and, uh, he does an amazing job. So he's leading the way with hopefully for some more hockey players to be pilots here. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, Coach, I want to ask you about Jackson Blake. If you could tell us a little bit about him. He's uh, leading your team in points right now. Uh, wh- what is it that makes him so good? Uh, just his competitive nature, the fire uh, that, that he possesses, not only in games but practices. You know, he's he had an amazing freshman year last year, and he's he's, he's taken that right up another level here uh, his sophomore year, second year here. And, you know, he, he loves to be the guy. He loves to be on the ice. He loves to be in those situations. And, and, uh, you know, there's not too many guys, you know, your first couple of years that you make an impact because, you know, you go to college hockey here and, and you know, you're playing uh, some players that are up to 23, 24 years old. And when you come maybe as an 18 year old, 19 year old, that's that's given away a lot of age and a lot of a lot of physical maturity as far as who you're playing against. He's done an amazing job of, of you know, getting to a top level. And, you know, it's funny when he gets to the bench, you know, he's, he's, he's like a, he's like a racehorse. He wants to be back on the ice again. And I remember the last time we had somebody like that, his name was Brock Besser. He was, you oh. know, he back to the bench. He's pretty good. You have to turn it on. And, uh, and again, I think it's just because of that competitive nature and that fire that they have. Coach, who's a better who's a better player, Jason or Jackson? Jason Blake or Jackson, the father or the son? Well, I think if he asks Jason, he'll say himself probably. But uh, <laughs> you know what, Jason, uh, I got to commend Jason because uh, back in the day, the way the game was played, uh, he wasn't a big body, and he had to play a hard, heavy game. And the rules probably restricted a lot of smaller bodies to play in the NHL. And he he found a way to be an impactful player. Uh, so I got to commend Jason. But I think Jackson. I think his his full package, his uh, his hockey sense, his playmaking ability, uh, his competitiveness. I, I I think Jackson's an elite player. Jimmy, I got to ask the coach this. This is really a good one, Coach. There are not a lot of guys that are coaching Division One college hockey, and an alumni of their team is actually the mayor of the town. 
How much do you talk to Brandon Bochensky, the former oh, NHL player, yeah. former member of the University of North, North Dakota and team that coaching? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, Brandon. Uh, you know, I, I guess if you would ask me when Brandon came through college, and he was an outstanding hockey goal scorer. He played with Zach, same line as Zach Parise, and they put up a ton of points and had success here. But if you would ask me if you'd be the mayor of our city a few years later, I'd probably I'd call you crazy. But at <laughs> the end of the day, I'm telling you, what a sharp mind he is. What a, a yeah. focus, focused young man and vision. Like, he's taken the Grand Forks, North Dakota, to another level as far as being a city and progressive um in, in 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 where we live here so he's done an amazing job and you know one of the things a little story about brandon was you know we try to trip uh, uh, pay tribute to our former uh players that come through north dakota and we try to emulate what chicago blackhawks do in the one last shift or one more shift it is when okay. players come back and they, they throw the full pads on and, and the jersey on and you know uh after pregame warm-up uh, before the national anthem we introduce uh our former players and they did skate a couple laps and stand on the blue line for the national anthem and Tell you what, Brandon Bochensky can still play the game. I know yeah. he played City League in Grand Forks, and yeah. I asked him. I said, "Hey, don't play one more shift. We'd love to have you a few more." <laughs> I know he has a competitive nature. He wanted to as well. So, Jimmy, just before you get to a question, I got to ask because Coach is talking about Brandon, and I was a big fan when he played both in college and in pro. Coach, there's a lot of rumor out there that major junior hockey players may become eligible to play Division One college hockey. How much will that change how you recruit? Yeah, you know what, Pierre, that's a great question. I think, you know, first to answer that part of it, I, I think there's some discussions that are going on that are pretty valid as far as the reasons why and, and uh, the opportunity to, uh, to to bring players in that, that have made a decision to play major junior hockey. So that's, that's going on right now. Um, I think it will change a little bit. You know, I think as the way we recruit and different things like that, um, yeah, it, it opens up the pool of a lot of players and it, it, yeah. it Gives a, a, I guess, an option for some of these players to, to, uh, to play NCAA hockey at a later time in the, in their hockey careers. So, yep, uh, I think it, there's a lot of things going on, discussions about it, but it will change us uh, Im immensely here as far as how we recruit. Probably, I, I agree. I agree, hundred percent. Coach, uh, we always like to ask our coaches that we bring on just sort of their journey of how they got to get into coaching. So, you know, what was the the thing that propelled you to this? job and in this passion that you have for the for coaching yeah that's a great question and i i think about it a lot you know uh you know having the opportunity to be where i am and very grateful for it and, and uh just to kind of let how it started was i played after i left college hockey uh i played 13 years of pro hockey and i did it kind of backwards i think the majority of my my career was in the nhl to start with and then eventually um i went i went down to the minors and uh and it was at a time where I was in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and uh, I was with the Dallas Stars organization at the time. And it was uh, uh, Doug Armstrong and Les Jackson were running the organization. And they told me, they said, great people, great, great yeah. friends, great people, unbelievable leaders. And they said to me, hey, we're, we're moving in another direction. We're going to get some other players, some younger players. Um, it, you know, you did a really good job for us, but we want you to help our young guys in the minors. And for me, I thought I could still play a little bit more. As a player, you always think you can. Yes. And it was kind of a tough pill to swallow. And so I talked with my wife. And at the end of the day, we had we had uh, one young daughter at the time. And we moved up and we went to Kalamazoo, Michigan. And I really wasn't sure how it was going to go. And I'll tell you what, I absolutely loved it. I mean, we had guys like uh, uh, Jamie Langenbrunner and Marty Turco and, and a lot of impactful oh. players. And and you know what? I, I got into it. I, I love being around those guys and love mm -hmm. sharing some of my my experience as a pro player to try to help those guys. And those guys 
went on to play a lot of a lot of I guess NHL seasons and and uh, I, it stirred the fire in me as far as trying to, to to go into the development side and then and then um, you know I had two back surgeries uh, I couldn't play anymore in the minors I didn't know what I was going to do and then finally Dean Blaze uh, late early August of 2000 he calls and says hey I need an assistant coach back here do you want to coach with me and it took me about 0.2 seconds to yeah. say. And uh, that's one of the decisions I never asked my wife. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just got to do it sometimes. <laughs> yeah, we're moving back to Grand Forks, and and uh, and, and it's been uh, coaching ever since. So I think it was Kalamazoo, Michigan, and the Dallas Stars kind of getting me going as far as – and then obviously great University of North Dakota, Dean Blaze, is bringing me back. Good stuff. I, I don't think you could have two better mentors than Coach Gasparini and Dean, Dean Blaze. I just mean that. You know, I remember Dean Blaze from the, well, so many different places, whether it was in Nebraska, Omaha, in the USHL, in Columbus, and even coaching Team USA at the World Junior, where they won a gold medal in Saskatoon. Um, but the thing that blows me away about Dean is how much he cared about the people that he coached. And, and Brad, you can speak to that. I mean, just a phenomenal human being. Well, you know what he he spoke from the heart, and he and and he and he reacted from the heart. And uh, I think in this day and age, I think uh, a lot of times you don't see that on a consistent basis. And you know, I remember he he you know he would speak his mind to players. You know, if they weren't giving it their all, or or they weren't being team first. And you know, when you talk about North Dakota, that the the common thread with a lot of players coming through here, it's being team first. And uh, and you have to check your egos at the door uh, when you come in here from wherever you came from. And and uh, he made some tough decisions. That's even sitting out some high impactful players or or benching them or whatever. But it got the message across. And those guys were better players after they went through Dean Blake. Totally agree, Coach. I wonder, you know, as you've gone on to coach and so many more college players are going to the NHL now, and a lot of them are leaving early as well. How do you? Uh, find the balance you know these kids are thinking ahead it's just natural they're going to do that but how do you find the balance to be able to keep them in the moment yeah i, I think there's a lot of things coming at these young guys you know obviously social media you know uh being a drafted player even an undrafted player with the attention if you're having mm -hmm. a great college career here and just keep keep the focus on the day-to-day -day ahead of you and uh you know i think that comes you know you, you mentioned about dylan simpson on our staff we have dean jackson carl gearing who's coaching the american league and and has done done an amazing job with young players at the pro level. You know, we have we have a lot of coaches here that spend a lot of time with our players on a daily basis, whether it's structure, whether it's the individual development, and whether it's about what the future looks like. And we want the best for them. And you know, I think Pierre, you know, I mean, you were you were with uh, you know Ottawa a few years ago. As far as have we had a number of our players come through uh, our, our our organization, get into Ottawa, and and knowing what t the right time is to go with Tyler Clevin and Shane Pinto and Jake Sanderson and. Mm -hmm. And Jacob Bernard Docker, like those were situations where, you know, they, they spent three to two to three years here as far as maximizing their time on developing and not rushing it. Uh, Jimmy, I just want everybody to know this is really important. Uh, I would call coach and we would meet for lunch or we would meet near the rink and never once did he hesitate. And he knew I was there. I wasn't coming to say, well, I'm making a social visit. I was coming <laughs> to take his players. Yeah. Yeah. And never once did he say a bad thing about anybody. And I'm so grateful for the time, Brad, that I had a chance to spend with you because of the way you acted and the way you treated it as such a professional decision for those players. And that's for all the young kids out there. They need to know that. When they go to a place like Dakota, especially with somebody that's experienced pro hockey like you, you're not going to hold them back if they, you think they're ready. And I know that for gospel because I lived it and I respect you so much for that.
hundred percent. And you know, we, we know that like if you're a first rounder, there's a chance you're going to be gone after a couple of years. Hopefully it's not one year, but after a couple of years and then, then from there, it's usually three years. And if you have them four years, then you're blessed to do that. But it's usually mm -hmm. two, three years. And you know what, we, we've got into this because we, you know, we want to make sure that those players develop and have a chance and an opportunity and we're not going to hold them back. And I think what you talked about uh, as the open door policy, that's the best way to do it. Like, one way or the other, players are going to meet with with NHL GMs or executives or agents or whatever. They're going to meet them anyways. At the end of the day, you know, as long as we're in the know as far as when that is and, you know, if we can be a part of those discussions. Well, yeah. that's why I always reached out to you, Coach. That's why I did it, out of respect to you and to the program. And it, it worked. I think it worked well. There were no hard feelings, I didn't think, anywhere. No, no, no. You wouldn't be here with us right now, right? <laughs> uh, Coach, I got I to gotta ask you, too, and you don't have to name a player, but have you ever had a situation like that where a player's thinking about going pro and he has the chance, and maybe he changed his mind? And, and, and you know, why was it, do you think, that the player changed his mind? You don't have to name a player, but just a, an example of that. Yeah, you know what? Um, I'm, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. You know what? There, I think there have been a few that have come back an extra year just because it made sense, and 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 in in retrospect, it was the right move. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I can probably name a couple that that probably left a, a year early uh, and mm -hmm. wish they would have stayed another year, and probably would have been better for them. But you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. You never know how that's going to go, and you don't know what's not going to be on the other side of the fence. And mm -hmm. I think you know. Just genuinely, if 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 you connect with players and 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 know that they're that that they think that you're on their side and you're doing what's best for them, they're going to genuinely listen to you. And I think at the end of the day, there's extenuating circumstances with different things why they maybe want to leave. But for the most part, I think you know if you build that relationship and that connection, usually it turns out the right way. Coach, I got to ask you, how much do you miss having University of Minnesota, University of Wisconsin, Michigan? Michigan State. How much do you miss having the chance to play against them on a regular basis? Hey, we're trying, man. Like I know, uh, obviously, yeah. the and they they made their own league, and we made our own league in the NCHC with yeah. some really good members here. But you know what we do at North Dakota here? We're allowed ten non-conference games a year, and and we've had it in a contract with Minnesota that we're playing them every year. A two games at home one year, two games at their place the next year, and it alternates. Uh, we just signed a contract with, uh, we're doing it with, going to be doing it with Wisconsin down the road here. That's um, great. That's outstanding. Nice. So obviously with Mike Hastings and his group here, we played them this year and we beat them in our rink the first time in a long time they, that we played them. Uh, we got them there and now we're, uh, we're going to be playing them again. And you know what? We're, we've got some potential series that are hooked up, some destination games and different things like that with Michigan State and, and different other Big Ten members. Jimmy, I got to tell you, so Coach does a really good thing. They call them destination games. So when I was working for Ottawa, I went and watched them play in Nashville. Mm -hmm. And the building sold out. I'm not kidding. They played Penn State in Nashville, and the building sold out. And I'm going to say there's 16,000 people from North Dakota. I'm going to say there's 1,000 people from Happy Valley. Now, that's not a knock on Penn State. It, just, it shows you how Dakota travels. Right. And what I said to the person that I was with, I said, Good night to be a robber in Grand Forks, North Dakota. <laughs> yeah, good night. <laughs> and I think you go to Vegas too, don't you, Coach? You guys do it a destination game in Vegas? 
Yeah, we, uh, we, we, we did Vegas a couple times. We did Nashville. Um, we are, we're, we're going to be announcing here soon. We're going to be going to Austin, Texas here in a couple years. So oh, cool. uh, <laughs> I wonder why, <laughs> Yeah, but, uh, but we're, uh, like I said, when you talked about, you know, uh, Bridgestone arena in Nashville, uh, I don't know what that seats around 20 grand, 20,000. Like we, we had it near capacity and you're right. It was all green, white, and black. And it was unbelievable. Our family, and they love to have a good time as well. It's oh, funny yeah. you say that, guys, because when I, I remember, I went to, I don't know if it was the semifinal. No, it was the final, I think, when North Dakota beat BC in a national championship in Providence in yep. 2000. And, it, you know, you would think it would be all BC because they're so close to Boston. It was three quarters North Dakota in that place. I'll never forget that. Just a sea of green, and they were all over all in the bars everywhere, having a great time. Yeah, they definitely travel well. Yeah, they do, and we're uh, we're blessed for that. I know they spend a lot of time and money come to Grand uh, City of Grand Forks, but they travel on the road. There's going to be a few in Miami here tonight in Oxford. That's great. Nice. That's great, Coach. Before we let you go, too, I just you know you look ahead at what you got this season right now. What are you telling the players in terms of what they need to keep doing to stay the course? Yeah, that's a great question, and and you know what. Um, Hockey's such a long season, and there's there's a lot of a few ups and downs in the seasons. We've had more ups and downs, but you know, just don't take things for granted here. Like you know, things are going really good right now. Um, it's one of those things that you, you got to keep your foot on the gas, and and you got you got to prove it the next day. And and you know, we had a really impactful series against Denver last year. It was really emotional, uh, winning, sweeping the weekend. Now, what do you do this weekend? And 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 yeah. what do you do? What do you do to get to that bar? And you know, I told the guys today in pregame meal, I, like they set the bar, uh, you know, as far as what we can do uh, against Denver, against a really good opponent, a really good rival. And that was at home. And and uh, one of our players, Jake Livinovich, outstanding freshman. This is a freshman saying this. Good freshman player. Wow. Yeah, he, uh, he, he, uh, he was defenseman of the month in our league here. And and he had a soundbite from one of the press conferences here earlier this week here. And he goes, you know what? He said, good teams win at home, but great teams win on the road. And I thought that was so wrong for a young guy to say that. And that was my today was like tonight. Hey, we have an opportunity. Not to, We won at home last weekend. We have an opportunity to try to do something special this weekend. Let's be a great team. Let's win on the road here. That's great. That's great to hear from a young kid, too. Wow. That's awesome. Hey, Coach, the only thing I regret about all my trips to Grand Forks now, Whitey's isn't in East Grand Forks anymore. I miss Whitey's. I know Whitey's, and they changed the name of it, too. I, like I said, at the end of the day, uh, yeah. that was an iconic place uh, back in the day. But we'll have to get you back up here again. There's other good spots. Oh, Coach, don't worry. I'll be on soon. I can't wait to see you. I really can't. Look forward to it. Thank you for your time, Brad. Yeah. Really Thank appreciate you. it. All right. Good luck tonight, Coach. That's Coach Bradbury of North Dakota. Join us here on On Campus Friday on the ITES. I'll tell you, Pierre, if he wanted, he could be a pro coach too, I think. But, well, there's, but very look, at all, look at all the breaking look at all the breaking news there. So now you know they're gonna play Minnesota every mm-hmm. year. You that know was, they're gonna play Wisconsin every year. You yep. know they're trying to do a destination game with Michigan State. They'd love to get Michigan on the schedule. You know, you so you see that now, and you talk about growing the game. I'm not kidding you. When they went to Nashville, I was sitting there. I was scouting. I, I was watching Clevin, and I was watching Sanderson. We already had Bernard Docker out. Pinto was already out. So I was watching those guys to see, you know, if they were actually ready to make the jump. I thought both of them were. Sanderson came out that year. Uh, Clevin stayed another year, and now he's playing in the American Hockey League um, and doing a great job, by the way, playing for David Bell down in Belleville. But 
I, I'm just telling you, they care in Dakota about growing the game. And if you're a hockey fan and you have a chance to go for a weekend series at yeah. the Ralph, you got to go. I got it. It's, it's I'm just telling you, Jimmy, like I love the NHL. It's I love the NHL. I love major junior. I love junior. I love all hockey, but I'm going to the Ralph is a unique opportunity that everybody should have to experience once. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm, I'm making this uh, college rink bucket list, Pierre. So that's in there. Oh, for I'm going to be your chaperone when you go. I, there. I can't let you go there alone. <laughs> you we don't need the Irish guy going in there, eh? No, I'll take care of you there. I got Coach knows. He Whitey's was one of my favorite places. Can I tell a quick story, Jimmy? Of course, we love them. Okay, so in 2005, um, I'm I brought my father, who spent all his summers growing up there in, in Grand Forks. There was a family farm, and uh, so during World War II. He was a 14-year-old kid, and three of his brothers were fighting in the Pacific Theater. My Uncle Bernard, my Uncle Pat, my Uncle Eric. So all of it, there were eight kids in their family. And my dad was working on this grain farm with all these hired men. It was about 6,000 acres. He was 14 years old. And at the end of the day, VJ Day happens. And my dad remembered that from where he was and what he was doing. And so go to 2005. So we're talking a lot of years after. Yeah. We bring him to the World Junior in 05. And we were actually having dinner at Whitey's with Gord Miller and Bob McKenzie. And we start East Grand Forks is in Minnesota. And there's a bridge across the Red River. And it brings you into Grand Forks. So we were walking across the bridge. It was about 35 below zero, Jimmy. It wasn't cool. And right in the middle of the bridge, my dad stops. And so Bob and Gord, we're all freezing. I'm freezing too. And he goes, well, what are you doing? He goes, I want to tell you guys a quick story. And we're like, whoa, this is crazy. He says, I will never forget standing right here on this bridge, VJ Day, 1945. My three brothers were coming home. Everybody was shooting fireworks here. And I saw a young guy jump off the bridge and drown right from here on VJ Day. And he never, my dad never forgot it. And he never brought it up in our family till I was walking across the bridge with him that night. And it brought me back to when he was 14 years old. And you could see he was emotional about it. And Bob and Gordon were like, whoa, that is pretty amazing. You know, and yeah, it yeah. just, I, it's someplace that's near and dear to my heart just because of the relationship yeah, yeah. with my dad. You know, it was pretty neat. Pretty neat special. That is special, Pierre. And, you know, I'll tell you too, I look at, you know, you talking about these destination games. I was unaware of that, Pierre. I think that's great. Uh, that they, they're so creative there. You know, I, I just can't say now there's so many great pro look at we've had you we've had so many good coaches on, whether mm -hmm. it's Jay Pandolfo at Boston University, whether it's Greg Brown at BU, you I'm know, we keep going now, Greg Carvel at UMass Amherst. Yeah. Like we've had Ben Barr at University of Maine, like all these great coaches. Did you just signed an extension, by the way. Just, just yeah, just signed know. an extension. I texted with him this morning about his yeah. extension. I was so happy for him. And we've had all but I can tell you one thing about Dakota that's different than all these schools. There's no pro hockey in Dakota. There is none. That is the pro hockey. They are the pro, and they don't have big time Division One football. They don't have big time Division One no. basketball. Dakota hockey is the entire state. Oh yeah, it is the entire state, and it is it is unbelievable. It's yeah. unbelievable to go to a game there. And you know, we'll talk about it another time too, Pierre, because I think it'd be a great topic to delve into that whole thing where you're saying now that they might be able to take junior players. I mean, that, that's that's huge. That's it's, huge. It's, it's going to be a game changer for college hockey. It's going to create some problems for some teams. 
mm-hmm. don't have good vision. I'm talking about the administrators and the and the athletic people, mm-hmm. and the teams that have or the schools that have vision, and aren't afraid of having a good strong vision. They're going to do well. They're going to do well because you're going to have to change how you do business. Yeah, you don't change how you, you know the biggest mistake people make in hockey. This is how we've always done it, so we're going to keep doing it exactly. this way. I hate that. Doesn't work. Anything in any business or no. walk of life to but do that. I can tell you in hockey, that's kind of, everybody's kind of vanilla. Yeah, you know what I mean, and I say that out of respect because I know exactly. most of them. But yeah. there's some guys that aren't. Like Glenn Sather was never vanilla. No, he never was. No, he he ran he on his own. Like, yep. I'm a, I'm a big fan of guys that don't run with the herd. Yeah, me too. Brad, Brad Berry doesn't run with the herd. No, nope. yeah, there are a lot of names on that roster that people say, "Where's that guy from? Who's that yeah. guy? What what team? What where did he play, Junior?" They got guys. They they know how they want to fit their yep. roster build on. You yeah. know what I mean? They know. That's good. Say, and I I was unaware too. Jackson Blake is Rob. Um, it's Jason's Jason son. Blake. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. You know, Jason Blake here, ironically, was with the New York Islanders when I got my first gig out of college and got into media. I was doing a media relations internship there that Greg Cronin got me. So that was 2001 season, and wow. he was with the Islanders then. He was a key part of that team. Yeah, and so Brad, Brad was actually just starting his coaching career at Dakota, I think, in 2000. Right. That so was there we go. Yep. So you guys and started Bichinsky, at the same time. And Bachinski was uh, with the Bruins in 05-06, and I covered him for a season. Cool. He was great. Brandon Bachinski was a really good yeah, player. He, he could score, him, man. man. He was a yeah. scorer. He was a Hobie Baker finalist. He was a really good scorer. Yep. But he is the – I think I blew you away on that one. He's yep, the mayor. He's That's he's, crazy. Well, the last time I was, I got to tell you, yeah. so I, go, I go in to meet Coach Barry because we're trying to get Sanderson out. And I really, I don't think it's that deep a dive to get Clevin too. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want him to feel like we weren't including him in, in the talk. Right. So I, I go to Coach and I say, can I meet with you? And he, yeah, 100%. So I'm sitting in this restaurant in East Grand Forks, and it wasn't Whitey's. I just don't want to say the name because I don't want to start anything. Yeah. So I'm reading the newspaper, and it says Mayor Bochensky. And I'm like, what? This can't be Brandon Bochensky. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's him. He's the mayor. It was awesome. It was so good. Was, and I said to Brad, this is unbelievable. He goes, oh, yeah, it's pretty good. It's Find out if you can, Pierre, because I remember we were helping her get it off. We were helping her promote it as she got it off the ground. He, if I remember correctly, his wife, I don't know if they're still together, but uh, he, she was starting up a clothing business. Like, no, they're, they're very much still together. They have two okay. they have children. Yeah, they're very much together. I, I wonder how that turned out because she was. Really, I remember she was so excited about it. So we would kind of drop it in stories and promote it for it. And they were so grateful for it. Oh, yeah. No, no. He's a really good family guy. And, yes, he's still yeah. Yep, yep. They were great. All right. You know what? We've got a ton of questions, Pierre. And, hmm, I wonder what a lot of people want to talk about right now today. The trade? Let's... Montreal trade? Or, Maybe. Or, Todd Mc... or Todd McClellan? Yeah. And that, too. There's a lot of stuff going down. Of course, Gary Bettman and Bill Daly and Marty Walsh all met the media uh, in Toronto. So, Let's get over those questions right now, and we'll get uh, get your take on everything. All right, Justin LeBron, did Kent Hughes move too fast? I don't think I'm so. I'm going to figure it out. One word, no. And you no, go I ahead. don't. I don't think so. Um, the market could change pretty quick too. I think he's building off what happened with Calgary and Vancouver, mm-hmm. um, and so I, if he couldn't get a nibble from Boston and he couldn't get a nibble from New York, and I bet you those were two teams that he was talking to. And maybe didn't get a nibble from Colorado. I think he said, "You know what? The market might change." Yeah. So I think he actually did a good job. I really do. 
and if I'm not mistaken, I, I saw on Twitter some of the quotes from his uh, tele, his press conference too. He made a good point too, saying, you know, like you need to get out and dictate the market, uh, and not let it dictate you. And he gave the example of last year, Pierre, how, how things can change so fast. He said at this time last year, Ekholm and Orloff were not on the market, no. and then you know a few weeks later, all of a sudden they pop up, and Boston's grabbing him, and Edmonton's grabbing Ekholm. So he said, you got to just feel it and go with it right then because you might regret it later on. Well, remember what we talked about a couple weeks ago, maybe 10 days ago, whomever makes the best trade at the trade deadline yeah. in the West has a legitimate chance to win. So you saw what Vancouver did, right? Mm -hmm. Elias Lindholm. Now who's in the West that just got a center that needed one? Winnipeg. They know. Yep. These teams know. They, they look at it every day. The general manager, how many times have I said to you, Jimmy, you got to be the biggest expert on your own team. You got to know your own team better than anybody. And when you come in every day and you look at that depth chart and you say, you know what? I just saw what Vancouver did. Darn it. We're not deep enough. Yeah. We don't have enough to go against them. So you got to do something and you yeah. got to do it quick before the pricing changes again. Yeah. So um, I think that's not the last move, Jimmy. I, I oh. have to think Colorado's on the clock right now in the West. I think Dallas is on the clock right now in the West. Yep. Vegas, you know, legit, legitimately, like teams yeah. that, and I think Edmonton's got to still do something. I do too. Oh, so now it's going to be now it's going to be interesting to see where the price points go. Now here, let's so let's segue over. And by the way, too, Pierre, I know, and I agreed with you too. Just I want our viewers to know, um, we're both in agreement that we do think maybe Montreal could have got at least a body back. I, I think trade. it would have been, and I said this on Mitch Melnick's radio show, and again, not trying to be rude or disrespectful to the management people but when you do what they did in montreal the players now know okay yeah we're playing for next year yeah. they're, they're gonna not say that yeah. but at the bottom of the day or the end of the day they know signal yeah they just don't have enough manpower they just don't they and they know they just know interesting it's gonna be interesting uh, all right. Well, you know, another team who made a big change, but it wasn't a trade, was the Los Angeles Kings. They fire uh, Todd McClellan and uh, bring in John Hiller. Did I get that right? Jim. Jim Hiller. And Melnick did the same thing while I was listening. <laughs> and I still did. Yeah, guy, he, he's such a good man. He uh, he started coaching the NHL with Mike Babcock in Detroit. He moved on and worked with the Islanders with Barry Trotz. And then when Barry got let go, he moved out. Um he moved out to L.A. He was originally drafted by the New York Rangers, believe it or not. He's a power play specialist, kid okay. that played college hockey, guy that played college hockey in northern Michigan. Um, really good hockey man. Good opportunity for him. I said this to Mitch. I mean, it's in serious. Since 2008. So you go to 08. McClellan's part of the Detroit Red Wings winning the Stanley Cup. Okay, mm -hmm. He's the assistant coach. Did yep. all the games. It was a grind to the final. Then they play a hard series with Pittsburgh. He gets the job almost instantaneously in San Jose. Since yeah. 2008, in winning the Stanley Cup, he's been a head coach in the NHL. He was in he was in San Jose. He was in Edmonton. He's in LA. Mm -hmm. Come on, man! Like that's a long time. Yeah. yeah, I think I hate it when coaches get fired, but in this case, I think this is actually going to help Todd. Yeah, I yeah. think it's going to help him. Reset, re-energize, recool, yeah. get ready, Great prepare point. yourself. I don't think he goes to the top of the queue, or. Uh, Jimmy, I don't think he goes to the top, but I think he's right there. You know yeah. what I mean? With the other top guys. Yeah. I think Quenville, once the league allows it, Joel Quenville goes to the top he's of the list. Right right? He, he does. Yeah. And all the guys out there that are listening that are coaches in the league, 
no disrespect meant, but Quenville goes right to the top. And every and everybody in the league knows. They understand that. Look at the resume. My question to you, Pierre, before we go back to the questions here is okay, so he makes the coaching change, but as we agree, and it's usually the case, it's it's usually the players, not the coach, but you can't fire the whole team. But still, what if you're Rob Blake now? What are you doing? You got the trade deadline coming up. Need a goalie. You're, yeah, I was just going to say you're shaking net, and you. How? What are you looking at right now in terms of how do I know who I need to move out? Like how I need to know how I get more out of Pierre Luc Dubois. Mm. You don't have a problem with Kopitar. You don't have a problem with uh, yeah. Denault. No, you, yeah. you, you know, you know, but then you go to the three hole. You don't have a problem with Blake Lazat in the four hole. Nope. What are you getting out of the three hole? Yeah. You, you were supposed to get a lot because that's where he was, you know, supposed to be able to light everybody up because he wasn't going to play in matchup situations and you're not getting it. And so if I'm Rob, and I'm sure Rob and Luke have done this, Luke Robitaille and Rob Blake, mm-hmm. I'm sure they brought the kid in numerous times and said, how do we help you? get to another level because you got to get there. Yeah. You know, at, at some point, Jimmy, it can't just be, well, this coach has been mean to me or that coach has been mean to me, or I didn't like this city. Like at some point you got to look in the mirror and say, okay, I had a chance in Columbus. It didn't work. I had a chance in Winnipeg. It didn't work. Now I'm in LA. How come it's not, you know what I mean, Jimmy? At yeah. some point, you, it, it can't just be everybody else. Sometimes it's got to be you. He's got to look in the mirror. He really does. I mean, it's tough. He's in the first year of a eight-year, sixty-eight million, eight point five million cap contract. So they're stuck with each other, and he's got to he's got to recognize that and say, "All right, you know, I owe I owe it to them. I mean, they believed in me. They went out. Look at the boatload they traded for him, and look what those guys are doing for the Winnipeg Jets now. You know, you know? You know a, he should be watching what Quinton Byfield's doing. Yeah, I'm right McCoy. there. He's right there to learn from. It's playing so well. He's playing so hard. And everybody was like, oh, too much too soon. This guy's better than him. That guy. No, you know what? Quentin Byfield's really good. He's really good. Good. He's and just getting better all yeah, the time. For sure. All right. Let's go to more questions here. Pierre, what other moves do you anticipate from Hughes moving forward? The goalie, Jake Allen, will be traded. Um, I don't have any hesitation in that. I, I don't think Jake would have a problem with me saying this either. Um, it's just he knows this contract's up. He's the eldest guy there. They signed Montembeau to an extension. They got Caden Primo's not playing enough. They need to develop him, and they got Jacob Fowler coming. So that I mean that that's one. I don't see much else happening there, Jimmy. Do you? I don't. I just have a hard time well, believing just, they would trade Mike Matheson. I have a hard time believing that. No, I, I think that's. I don't know where that rumor came from. It makes no sense. And you know, Pierre, I was just thinking about it on and off the ice. What a great fit he is for that team. Because he's got enough experience now where he can help up with all these young defensemen coming in. He's also a Montreal kid. He understands the media, the demands there. He understands the culture, the fans. So it it just, it would make no sense to trade him. There's other players I could see going out, but he's not one of them. And and as far as the goalie goes, Pierre, I would think that Hughes tries to dictate that market too. Because it's going to act out. It's going to pick up. So I think he tries to strike first. He might. The one thing I'd say is I don't know what Padford Beek's going to do. He's the wild card in this whole thing because he's got, uh, you know, we read. And it's i got to stress this, Jimmy. It's what we read. It's not what you and I are reporting. It's what we read. And so you read about Adam Henrique. You read about Frankie Vetrano. And we've talked about the player. 
and it's not because we think he should be traded. But if you're a contending team and you need a goalie, you want Gibson. Yeah. You do. You do. Because they have the style there. You want Gibson. Yeah. I think he's got a chance to be a Stanley Cup winning goalie. Yeah. And I don't think I'm the only person that feels that way. Interesting. Donovan Michaels suggests, I don't know if he's saying it just happened. I don't think so. I don't see it anywhere. But he suggests Jake Allen to Philly. I don't think that they'd be in the market for a goalie right now. I think Philly is kind of becoming a seller, Pierre, as opposed to a buyer. But I, I they are going to need a goalie soon. They are. But I think Philly's in a situation where they probably have another seven to eight days because they're still within that 10 point, even though they're yeah. in third place in the Metro, mm -hmm. they're slip sliding the wrong way. They've lost five straight. So they probably got five to 10 days to play with before they recognize whether they're going to be a buyer or seller. Yeah. I don't think they will be an extreme buyer anyways, even if they are in a playoff spot. Yeah. But they may end up selling some guys. They might. Yeah. And uh, Scott Loughton's name has been out there lately uh, from Darren Drager, but um, he's got a couple of years left on his term. All right, let's go to the next question. Habs have a, this from Vid Zombie. Habs have a few first round picks over the next few years now. How does two first to Anaheim for Zegers sound? Overpay? Well, I don't know if it's overpay. It depends on where those first round picks come. Mm -hmm. If they're top 10, I'd say yes, overpay. If they're not top 10, then I think you'd have to spread it out. But I would be interested in that based on what Montreal wants. Now, I'm going to say this too. I wouldn't be rushing to overpay on any player in Montreal because you're still rebuilding. Zegers gets your points. There's no question he gets your points. Um, but there's other stuff too. And I, I just don't know how comfortable he'd be playing in Montreal. I don't know that, but I just don't know how comfortable. He's a kid from, you know, right near Fairfield County, Connecticut. Played yep. for Fairfield. Went to Boston University. I just don't know if there's a fit in Montreal or not. For, I just don't yeah. know. Yeah. It's an interesting one. And I'm, I'm going to keep my eyes on Zegers as well. I think he's one of the more interesting options out there. Yep. Uh, all right, let's go to the next question. Alex Evanoski, with all these trades happening now, does a secondary market open up for teams that you wouldn't think would initially be sellers come March 8th, say Pittsburgh, Washington, St. Louis, or Minnesota, and Philly like we just discussed? So, Jimmy and I were talking about Minnesota. They're almost in the same predicament as Philadelphia. They're starting to run out of time on the Mendoza line. Um, so I would say at some point here, pretty quick, Billy Guerin's going to figure something out. I think St. Louis, much the same. Um, even though they made a coaching change, just like Minnesota did, Drew Bannister's gone in there and done a nice job. Just don't know if they're going to have enough to get it across the finish line uh, in the Western Conference. Pittsburgh, very much the same. Jimmy, you know we talked about that as well. Um, and for Kyle Dubas, I think he wants to put his own imprint on the team. I really do. So one of the ways of doing that is making a splash at the trade deadline. But And Washington, uh -huh. I think, realistically knows they're close to being on the yeah. wrong side of the Mendoza line, and then they're going to have to do something too. They need to restructure the team in Washington. I think they know that. They've gotten older in a hurry, and they need to redo it. They really and they do. need to build up the middle as well. They know that. They, yeah. they know. They know. And you yeah. know what? I, I, like, I like kind of what's gone on quietly in both Washington and Pittsburgh only because you haven't seen a lot of leaking. Nope. So it tells me that everybody's yeah. kind of keeping a small circle. And yep. when you do that, usually some stuff happens. It's positive for your yep, team. For sure. And I want to just say in Minnesota too, as I said to you off the air up here, a name that I keep hearing, I actually said to you, I think he'd be a good fit for the Bruins is Jacob Middleton. 
good, yeah. tough, rugged depth defenseman. Uh, could slide into their third period there. We'll see what happens. All right, next question. A asks, does Chickren get traded? That's that's a million-dollar question, too. Yeah, well, just money-wise, see, that what people need to look at, the cap changes a lot of things. And yes. Jacob, it's, I think if they moved him, it'd be more about a cap issue than it would be anything else. Yeah. I really, I, that's how I feel about it. I mean, yeah. look at when, when I was in Ottawa, we were approached about Chickren, and I just at the time told the people I worked with, I just didn't think it was going to be a fit because I saw where our contracts were going, and I thought financially it was right. going to be a problem. Yep. And now you see kind of where it is in terms of yeah. it being a problem. It's just, yeah. it's not because you can't play, it's just the money, and yeah. you got other guys you got to pay. Yeah, no, it's, it's not. It's not a knock on him, and they've got guys coming too. Well, got, so Shabbat, here's the thing with Chickren, and he's and I coached his father in two cities in Pittsburgh yeah. or Hartford. So I'm, I like the family a lot. Mm -hmm. um, you got Sanderson signed to a long term deal, and you got Shabbat in the middle of a long term deal, and they're both on the left side. Chickren plays on the left side, like, yep. and you yep. got Tyler Clevin coming, who's who's on an entry level we'll contract. Well, he's going to say so, that. So I mean. It's tough, and nobody knows this kid's name. He's a righty. His name's Max Gannett. He's another guy coming. Yeah. You know, so I, I just – if Ottawa does something, I think it's because of money more than anything. I'm going to say, Pierre, just, just my gut feeling, No, not, again, not reporting this. This is just a hunch. Uh, if he is available, keep an eye on Detroit would be my word there, the Red Wings. No, that I could – but I could see that, though. That That's sensible. I, I I just little no, that's, 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 <laughs> you know what the one thing I would say, the dirty little secret in the NHL that nobody really talks about there's a whole lot of animosity between Ottawa and, and Detroit on the right. ice they, oh, just, yeah. they just don't yeah, whatever hasn't been no relationship there for a long time you know that could roadblock and by the way that was a great I thought Pierre we were saying how the game stunk this week because everybody sort of set sail in their minds to vacation I thought the one game that kept me glued was that Ottawa-Detroit game. It really yep. did. I agree. I agree. Hey, Ottawa, the first period outshot them 9-3 to three or 8-3, to three, and they were yep. down one nothing. And and Ottawa pushed. I give them a lot of credit. I don't know what was said after the first period, but you could yep. see they came out in the second. They pushed. Yeah. And you know what? You made a really good point to me, Jimmy. We talked about – you texted me about Dylan Larkin, and, and Dylan has really gone to that leadership level yes. he has to get to. And I really appreciate when I watch him do that. I really appreciate what he's doing. Say that. Yep. I was just, it's, it's been a joy to watch right now. He's starting to really, he knew he could get there and he's pushing it now. I love it. All right. Next question. Andrew G. Lindholm to the Canucks, Monaghan to the Jets, Oilers are Stanley Cup faves, Canada on the up and up. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It's no, I, hey, listen, it's definitely true. And think about Montreal when they start to get better and they start to reach their potential. How about Ottawa? Ottawa's going to get Ottawa's good. Ottawa's going to be good. I mean, Canada's yeah. going to be good. That being said, Colorado's good. Carolina's good. <laughs> Tampa, Tampa went to three straight final. Yeah. Uh, Florida was in the final last year. There's a team that my friend Jimmy Murphy covers by the name of the Boston Bruins. They're pretty <laughs> good. I think Chris Drury would tell you the New York Rangers are pretty good. So yeah. the problem is – there are a lot of good teams, and the parity is insane. Yeah. Insane. All right, next question. Enter Tap. If Edmonton makes a significant move, do you believe this might disrupt the winning ways that they no. have now established? No. They're cognizant of that, for sure. You know, you know what's amazing? Let's, do, let's look at it this way. 
when Chris Knobloch went there and Paul Coffey was named assistant, there were a lot of people like, come on, no way. They're not going to make that big a difference. Come on. They've made a huge difference. It's a huge difference. And the, and the players know it. And now the players trust the coaches and they really trust the management because the yeah. management made a call. Yeah. And the calls worked. Yeah. When you make the call and the call works, everybody believes. And so I think anything they would do would be seen as a positive for the team. And remember, too, and he actually had a good, good question, by the way. And Ken Holland actually addressed that the other day, Pierre. And he said he's always been that way, that he has to be very wary that does not disrupt the chemistry. And he, he wasn't speaking just to the specific team and that they're on a win streak like this. He said, look, I came from Detroit. Think about all the teams he had to worry about disrupting there and how active he always was for them at the deadline and bringing in a good name and helping that those teams. So he, he's it's not his first rodeo when it comes well, to that. He learned a lot of that from Scotty Bowman, though, because that's what Sam Pollock used to do in Montreal. They'd always try to bring in an older guy that had never won the cup before or yep. a guy that maybe had won one but had a long stretch and yep. bring some enthusiasm and some confidence and street cred into the room. And it worked. It worked in Detroit. You know, I think about Chelios going there. I think about uh, Larry Murphy going in there. There are a bunch of them uh, that I could think of off the top of my head. Fatisov going in there. Yes. Um, Larry Onoff going in there. I mean, like Fatisov wasn't drafted by Detroit. Yep. Larry Onoff wasn't drafted by Detroit. So all these guys came in. I mean, it was brilliant managing by Jimmy Devolano, Kenny Holland, and Scotty Bowman. And it was brilliant coaching. But Again, it's the Montreal Canadiens philosophy. Bring in a one urgent guy usually at the deadline every year, and it helps you. It Those seem to work the best, Pierre. It's usually not the ones when you bring in a superstar. It's usually the yeah. ones when you bring in a guy that is that final piece in the dressing room. All right, next yeah. question. Stutzel for heart. Does the NIL deal change the major junior kids being able to go to college? Craig Button discussed this. Well, we just talked about it with Brad Berry. So yep. the answer is yes, it does. And I know the college coaches are really talking about this now. I know the NCAA is talking about this now. It's a very serious thing. One of the things I was doing, I was talking to somebody that I really respect this morning who's a hockey aficionado. And um, he said, what would you do? And I said, the first thing I'd do is I'd hire somebody that was called director of hockey operations. Mm hmm and it would take the coaches out of the process in terms of going on the road, so to speak. It's almost what Brad Berry talked about. He said, my coaches are always with my players. Mm -hmm. And this director of hockey operations would streamline the recruiting process. He'd have to be somebody that's connected to major junior. Because I think one of the great growth places for hockey, for and this drives Swedish people nuts, I think Sweden and Finland in particular – are untapped markets for a lot of these colleges. And mm -hmm. I think that's going to be the next big thing. Wow. I really do. I think that that's going to be one. And if the major junior Avenue ever opens up, it's going to change everything a lot. And, and Jimmy, again, you're talking to somebody that spent a lot of time on the road and somebody that really was aggressive on the recruiting trail. Let's say that. How about that? Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be interesting for sure. All right. We're going to take two more and we'll wrap it up. Randy Workman, who always asks great questions. Do you think there is a lot of pressure on the college kids to leave early for the pros? I'd say yes. I'd say yes as well. But I can tell you this. One of the things I really admire about Steve Eiserman, when he was in Tampa and now that when he's in Detroit, he doesn't put pressure on guys to leave. And he never told me that. I heard that from people that worked for him. Right. 
Um, so he believed that if a guy wanted to stay, let him stay. If a guy wanted to leave and they thought he was good enough to leave, take him out. But yep. don't push the kid to make a decision. Now, not every team is like that. No. Not every team is. Yep. Um, sometimes I'll use a case of Joe Newendike. I don't think Calgary Flames pressured Newendike to leave. I think Joe just knew after his second year at Cornell, I, I'm good enough to go. Yeah. And he went. And, you know, the rest is history. And he was. He was phenomenal. Same with Chelios when he was at Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. I mean, you go down the line, Brian Leach when he was at Boston College. There, there are tons of guys that have left early and some guys that have left later. Um, yeah. It's not one size fits all. No, it's not an exact science at all. All right, all right final question here. A to Z me says, does Pierre think that Hudson will see some NHL time later this year? Well, you've been adamant that he will. I do. I think he comes up at the end of Boston University season, whenever that might be. And uh, he stays uh, in Montreal when they sign him. And nobody's told me this. I just know in my heart of hearts what I think he can do. He gets a taste of the NHL life. Uh, as soon as the Canadian season is over, whether they make the playoffs or they don't make the playoffs, I think Laval will make the playoffs, which is great for them and a, um, a great job by Coach Uhl there and, and his assistants, Berger and Coach LaPerriere. Yep. Um, but I would say that once that's over, he probably goes down and tries to help them go really deep into the American Hockey League playoffs. But I do think he gets a taste of the NHL uh, this year. I think in general, Pierre, I'm pretty sure you'll agree with me, we're going to see – a larger college infusion uh, in March and April into the NHL. Yeah, I think so. And I also think into the AHL as well. Um, you know, I just think that it's one of those kind of after COVID and everything else, more guys are kind of dropping out of the workplace. It's kind of a weird deal right now in the league. So um, it's going to be, I, I, I'm kind of watching that really close for a lot of reasons, but I, I think you're going to see some stuff at the NHL level and at the American league level as well. For sure. All right, Pierre. Well, listen, great show as always. We want to thank the viewers there for all your good questions. You know, we love that and thank our production crew as well. And uh, Pierre, what an interview again. I love these on-campus Fridays. Uh, good to talk to Brad Berry and the University of North Dakota. Thank you to him for taking the time on a game night. And remember that, everybody out there, these coaches are doing this on game nights because colleges play essentially every Friday. Yeah, so, and uh, it, I, that's so good, Jimmy, that you acknowledge really that. Thank you, thank you for doing that because, you know, we had Coach Donato on last weekend from Harvard just before they I played think, Cornell. Yeah. And the first thing he did is he texted Jimmy to say thanks for having me on. Yeah. yeah I, I, that's, ama that's amazing. That, that's amazing. Like, these guys are really good, honorable, hardworking guys. They care a lot about the game. They want to get back to the game. All I want to say is to everybody that I see whenever I go to Grand Forks, thank you. I can't thank you enough for your hospitality, your kindness, and how much fun I have when I'm there. Because I have a ton of fun when I'm there. Ready. Murph's coming too next time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This has been another edition of the Eye Test on the Sick Podcast Network. Have a great weekend. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Eye Test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy on YouTube, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.